Day May Day. It's VOE time. Welcome to the May issue of Voices of Experience. Darren LaCroix, CSP, welcome to VOE. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's talk video. All right. You know, video is one of those. Everyone says, oh, you have to have video. Speakers and video, video and speakers. It just goes together. A lot of us are underpotentializing what we're doing with video and even specifically on YouTube, which should be our best friend. Tell me what's going on. How are speakers missing the boat? And then how can we start to do it smarter? Well, I think a lot of whether it's event planners who might be hiring you, and even more so, what I love to teach people is to create before rapport. So how do you create rapport before you even get there? Well, a lot of attendees these days are jumping on YouTube and searching out who's a speaker. May even be a determining factor whether they go to the event or not. So the better our YouTube videos are, they're gonna be searched anyway, so you might as well have good ones up instead of somebody else who videotaped you once illegally and put you up and boom, now you're in the search with a horrible video. So at least if you put up your own, you more direct the process of what people are gonna see when they search. Uh, and then of course, event planners love when you can create a video to help them put butts in seats. And the key to that is not promoting you, but promoting the conference, promoting their URL to sign up. And one of my little tricks is I go to their sales letter page and you know, you know sales. Well, if they're gonna write the copy, what are they gonna love more than me taking highlights from the copy? And I did that for one association and they ended up loving the event planner called me up and said, that was awesome. I loved what you said. And I'm thinking, you wrote it. <laughs> You wrote it. So they liked it so much, they put it on their video, their uh, association homepage. And when that's on the homepage, it's gonna get a lot more views, which is gonna help give juice to all my other videos. But most importantly, at the very, very end, it's just subtly more about Darren LaCroix. Go to darrenlacroix.com. I don't say it, it's subtle, but two or three times during the video, I'm promoting their sessions. I call the other speakers if I can and get a nugget or two from them and put it in the video. I learned early on from my mentor, Rick Siegel, from New England Speakers Association, always be the favorite. How do you be the favorite? So when I talk to bureaus, when I talk to an event planner, I ask them, what does it take to be your favorite and why? So you ask them right up front, point blank. Why not? They deal with egotistical speakers. How can I be the one that they like? Because event planners know event planners. So what are their pet peeves? What are the challenges they've had in the past? I, I also don't want to step on a landmine that I'm not aware of. So if I don't ask the question. I love that. So man, like five fantastic ideas all right there in that in that first uh, nugget. So number one, the video is always about them. Them, their event, their URL, etc. Mm -hmm. Number two, pick up ideas from their sales copy, from their website, from what they're trying to convey to their audience. Put that in your video. Number three, Talk to other speakers, so not only promote yourself and the conference, but you be the highlighter, you be the showcaser, you be the impresario saying, well, I talked to my five fellow speakers, oh my God, this guy proactively called four or five other speakers, got the favorite tidbit, put that in the video that he made for us, and then finally, ask point blank, how can I be your favorite? Awesome. Okay, now let's talk, you mentioned a couple things in passing and we always say, oh yeah, search engines, keywords, make sure YouTube. Can you give us some tips on what you just shared is how we can proactively use video, share video, tell the meeting planner, hey, here's the video. How do we get found? I know that we talk about 
SEO, search engine optimization on our YouTube channel, keywords, etc. But when we want to get found, rather than us promoting, but you know, the sort sure. of how, how, how natural we, search, natural search, how do we do that with YouTube or just kind of walk us through that whole findability on the video? It's really simple. We have to think, as you know from sales, you're the guru, we have to think, how does a searcher think? And so, for example, uh, I have a program called Create Your Keynote by Next Week. Now, no one is searching for Create Your Keynote by Next Week because it's for presenters, for lunch, but the bottom line is how do people search? Here's the cool thing. YouTube tells you the exact terms and searches that people search. So if you start putting in like how to write a speech into the search box, YouTube brings up the top five searches. So I sit there and I pull it's out a spreadsheet. It's in that auto-complete auto yeah, area. Exactly. Right. And so they're telling you the top searches. So I take a spreadsheet, take those top searches and put them in there. So I think, is this for my market? So one came up, uh, how to write a speech introduction. I was like, okay, that's my market. One came up, how to write a speech for student council. Not my market, don't care. And then one came up, how to write a speech about yourself. And I was like, I would have never dreamed in a million years someone searched that. So we need to think how the searcher thinks and then reverse engineer the content that they want. We're experts. So I sit there and I make two videos connected to each of their searches. So I have one, you know, how to write a speech about yourself example. So I add one more word, but then here's the simple part is you name it, how to write a speech about yourself. You put in the description, how to write a speech about yourself. Are you looking to write a speech about yourself? Well, this can be challenging, but if you wanna write a speech about yourself, this video is exactly what you're looking for. And then in the tag, how to write a speech about yourself. It's simple. The problem is people are putting it up from their brains rather than the searcher's brain. So I tested my little theory out. So I am not a pastor. I did two sermons for Unity Church's friends asking me to come. And so I tested it and I put a video up of a sermon I gave. So I have no juice in the sermon world. I might have a lot of keywords and videos in the speaking world. So I tested it and I, I looked, how do people search? Ha, sermon on change. So when I looked up sermon on change, I look at all the people who have videos and are they keywording it the way the search is happening? And if YouTube can't find the exact match, it comes the closest it can. That's its job. Its job is to connect the searcher to the right video. That's what's gonna keep you on there, give you advertise, you know, give them advertising money. So I posted Sermon on Change and then my name. And I'm on the front page above like super famous pastors. But it's just about the, the keywords. And it's not just keywords, it's search words. What terms are they using? And YouTube tells you. So take a little time, sit down with one of your friends who can think from a different direction than you and say, how would people search? So it's speech, it's presentation, it's what are the other words and just pop them in there. And YouTube says, here's what people want. And it's our job to give it to them. It's also simple. It's like we're speakers. We should be on YouTube. It's expected. It's not the bonus anymore. Now it's expected. So I made it a simple habit, David, that what most people aren't doing is they have brilliant ideas in their head or on their hard drive. Nobody's going to find them there. So it's upload it. That's all. Take it, upload it at the front end, put a graphic of the picture of the question of what the searcher is looking for. So they instantly know this is the video I'm looking for. And at the end, where do they go next to get more from you, to learn more from you? For you and I, what we need to think of is one video, one purpose, one next step. Singular. 
singular. So if it's how to write a speech introduction, that's the title. In the description, how to write a speech introduction, add another paragraph or so about that. Now, after that, we have our bio and our Twitter tags and all of that that's commonplace that you put on every one. I just changed the first paragraph. And then the tag is how to write a speech introduction. So think of each video has to have its own set of keywords or, or search phrases that is on just that video. On the next one, it's different. So yes, you can go back. There are some editing you can do with a YouTube editor, but it's limited. Uh, but you could also take that same video file and reinvent it by adding to it at the end or at the beginning or cutting a piece out. Because you, you could never put up the same video exactly because YouTube can tell. So you can change it, you can add to it and make it a little bit bigger file and it will be different. So I suggest doing that as well. My plan was when I first started this, I thought, ooh, I have a video on YouTube. Like I had, had a marketing coach who was like, you gotta get on YouTube. This is when YouTube first came out. You gotta get on YouTube. I'm like, ugh, okay. So I put up one video and I was like, I'm done. He's like, no, you don't get it. And so I made the philosophy of uh, one a day, just one a day. Now I might sit down and do five in 20 minutes and then put up one a day and there's some days, quite honestly, I fail, and that's okay too. But I have 1,300 videos up, and I look at those as 1,300 little soldiers out there saying, hey, you like this? Go back. Little hey, salespeople. Exactly, little salespeople, your little army. And they work 24-7, they don't require benefits. They don't eat much. They don't whine. Yeah, I love that. So let's go back, as you said, again, just you're dropping these gems, dude. You're just dropping the gems. You're, 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 I can't even keep up. More meat per minute. That's I know, what we're going really? for here. So length, when you said I can knock out five and 20 minutes, we're not talking about do a half hour video. These are like what, short two, three, four minutes? What's the ideal two, length? Two, three, four. The ideal length is how quickly can you get the point across to get them to want more. So literally less is more. The shorter literally. the better. Well, because if you start going off on a tangent, you can lose them. That's not why they searched that video. So we want to be able to say it as quickly as we can to get them to want more. Now, another point that you made is each video, single topic, but you mentioned that you do two. Mm -hmm. So you'll do a keyword phrase and then that same keyword phrase, example. Are we always doing them in pairs now where you kind of have two to hit each keyword phrase to build some momentum? Yeah, you want it to come up in related videos. So it, I would tell you, hey, do five on each. But I know that's overwhelming, even when I say one a day. Right. So I'm trying to keep it simple. Get two, so one feeds the other. So they're on the same topic, but they're like a different direction at the same content. Got it. So I look through my speeches because I teach better speaking. I look through my speeches for an example of what I said. So that way it's similar content, but they both back up each other. Because chances are one's going to come up as the top video in related videos. So I want to get two in there. So if they've taken one bite of the donut, yes. you want to give them a second yes. bite of the donut. It's almost not fair. Eddie Turner, welcome to Hallways, Lobbies, and Bars. You know, speakers are crazy, and what what are some of the mistakes that you see us make? Hi, David. One of the biggest mistakes I see us making as speakers is leaving money on the table. We're either leaving money on the table because we're not extending the client experience through offering other services right away, such as when we've given that fantastic keynote, they love everything we said, but then they go back to work. They want help implementing what they love with 
for that hour we spoke. Offering facilitated workshops is an excellent follow-up for larger groups, or offering one-on-one -on -one coaching is a great way for speakers to continue to drive client value and drive more revenue for their businesses. Rob Ferre, welcome to Voices of Experience. Thank you, and it's an honor to be a part of Voices. So let's talk about the topic, be the first one on the dance floor. What's that all about? How did you come to that topic? What's the story behind that? I'm a DJ by trade. I like to be at people's grandest and greatest celebrations in life, and it's an honor to be a part of it. And the thing is, not everybody wants to be that first person out on that dance floor. But you know, when you have a little bit of uh, what I call liquid courage, alcohol, that always helps, right? But not everybody has that liquid courage. <laughs> and so what we gotta do is we gotta inspire people to bring them out to the dance floor. So as a DJ, I got my start at Walt Disney World. And uh, I was the guy that had to start that dance party. People would be walking by, music would be playing, but they weren't invested in that. I also worked at Universal Studios, and I had to get people to buy in to what we were doing, to this entertainment. Why did we want them to party with us? Why did they want to celebrate with us? So we had to set the stage, we had to inspire. And so I used this little acronym, IGO, which is initiate, guide, and own. We want people to be initiated, to get onto that dance floor, but they don't do it themselves. I'm the one initiating. And so I'm often the person first out there, but I also have to set the stage. I have to have it be an inviting atmosphere for people to be a part of that situation. So any stage is not the right stage, but it's making the stage right for them. And then guiding, when it comes to guiding, I do a lot of interactive dances. That's what I do as a DJ. I'm out there guiding these people. So there's things like the hokey pokey that we all know, or the cha-cha slide for some of the younger kids. But these things guide people. But it's not just press play, pressing play, it's getting out there and showing them how to do it. And by the end of it, I step away and they own the dance floor. And so I use that with my life or with uh, what people want to do in leadership training. How do we get your employees or people to own that dance floor. But we have to initiate it first and we have to guide them. And I know that what you were sharing with me earlier is about how speakers and experts and folks like us can really use the same framework to start a movement. Yes. Right, to get people literally on the dance floor as you do as a DJ, but then metaphorically yes. on the dance floor, get them to follow you, get them in the game, yes. get them to care about what you care about, yes. get them to do what you want them to do, to have a groundswell and to have a real movement around changing a culture, yes. selling more effectively, leading yes. smarter, giving more to nonprofits or causes, this kind of thing. Yeah, and what I've also observed are how people are doing it in pop culture. Memes, are you familiar with this term, memes? Memes, I, we have a member named Meme James, don't Not we? The, no, that's Neen. Oh, Neen! But memes, memes are these funny cultural kind of pop culture icons or not, they kind of inspire people or they make people laugh. 
you may look at a meme and it's you, you know the carry on don't worry about the the british one i i can't recall it right off the stay top of my head. Stay, stay calm stay calm that is a meme and so uh video stay calm and listen to voe stay calm and listen to voe that's a meme we can turn that into a thing but these are little cultural uh things that people use little signposts signposts but they also there's videos of people making these memes yeah. and some of them spurn virality and we hear that term within the youtube world world or facebook somebody gets a viral post and then everybody follows and they start doing it so some of these memes i have been observing in the younger generation and they spur up every year or every six months and everybody's always trying to start a new movement or a new meme so for example there was the running man challenge it was a song two kids from high school in Maryland started dancing to this and they sent the video to Ellen DeGeneres and then this guy from an, uh, from Maryland College started doing it too. So it spread virality, but they were doing the running man to a song called My Boo. This like makes no sense to anybody, but for some reason it caught fire. Caught fire. There was the mannequin challenge. Have you heard of this one? I People standing like mannequins, you play a song, it's called Black Beetle. You play the song, and then everybody stands like a mannequin, okay? This is something started by kids. But how do we get things like that to catch on in your circle of influence? That's what I'm really talking about, is being the first one to do something innovative, something creative, something new, and it turns into something that's viral, a meme. So part of this is getting people to want to share your content. Yes. Or getting people to want to follow your behavior. Yes. So what are the building blocks? What's the secret sauce as you've studied this of making that happen? Once again, it's initiate. Doing it first and showing people how it's done. Because the thing is, a lot of us are working for ourselves. We're just one person. We're one entrepreneur trying to get everybody to buy in our little thing. And so doing it first, showing people how to do it, guiding them, and then basically owning them. And have you ever heard of FOMO? Yes. Fear of missing out. I hate that. And that's what happens with these memes and with this this viral sensations, okay? And so being the first one on the dance floor, I wanted to test this out in my own way. And so I often get on the microphone before dance or, and I tell people what's gonna happen and how to get into it. But I decided to start at the dance floor and see what happened on the stage. So I, I was doing a youth dance in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I'm from. And I just played a song. I just set up the equipment and I went out there and I started dancing. I didn't tell them what was gonna happen, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it started off really, really clunky. But eventually it caught on. And so I'm the first guy out there dancing by myself, looking like the lone fool, right? I'm out there doing it. And my heart was racing because I don't normally do this. I usually give context. If we give people context, they'll usually buy in. But what was really interesting was the first two or three people out on that dance floor. And it's not usually about me being the first one. It's the first two or three people that follow you, your first followers, the people that buy into what you're doing and then you nurture them. And what happened after that is I wasn't going out and grabbing people to be a part of this dance floor. It was my followers. The first followers were saying, we need more people to be a part of this. 
okay? So right now I'm just kind of giving you a methodology, a, a big kind of grander view of what it can be. But I think it's about setting that stage also. And I think you said some very, very important things that I want people to re-listen and rethink about. Number one, it's awkward, scary, yes. and you feel a little bit dumb yes. at first. Yes. Number two, even if you only have two or three followers, and the way I translate that, Rob, is two or three blog readers, two or three people yes. watching your Facebook Live, yes. two or three people interacting with you on Twitter. It always starts with you and then those first two, three, five, seven people. People say, oh, I don't have any followers. No one's watching my YouTube channel. No one's, hey, this is the very first step. If you're feeling lonely, awkward, and dumb, you're probably starting the movement the right way. Right, and, and the people that started on Twitter the first, First, I, f I forget who spoke to us at Influence in 2016, but he was one of the first guys on Twitter, and he just started creating conversations. And the thing is... Scott no, Stratton. It was Scott Stratton. It was Scott Stratton. Yeah. He was the first one in there creating this movement and using Twitter for what it was meant to be, using his own voice. And Scott Stratton was one of those first people on the dance floor in Twitter. Can you be the first one on Facebook? You know, that's kind of past, but all these new technologies that come out, Vine's dead, but what came out after that was Snapchat. Are you on Snapchat? This is great for the youth market. Are you out there sharing your message on Snapchat, on Instagram? And so there are different platforms you can do that in. So just in case people say, oh my gosh, I have to be waiting for the next new cool platform and jump into that first, you can still be the first one on Facebook for your tribe, yes. in your topic, yes. in your specific angle or niche or expertise. Yes. You can still be the first one on Instagram in your topic for your people in that tribe that you want to develop and that you want to grow. So it's not about find the newest, coolest, latest no. platform. It's be the first one with your voice for your people in the right place so that there is a movement to follow. Right, and, and I love how you bring that up, tribes. We eventually wanna create tribes and have influence within that tribe, and we want those people to be influencers too. We, we want this to be a thing. It's not about you. Right, we want it to be about everybody a part of this tribe. You know, I even created my own little social tribe on Facebook, it was called the Dapper DJ. I found different DJs from around the world and country that like to dress nice. And so that was one thing I just stepped in. Nobody was doing that. So I created that little niche. So find a niche, find a tribe, and start creating that dance floor for people to dance on. Make it inviting. That's what you do by getting out there first. Letting people know it's okay to be out here to dance with us. Donna Cutting, welcome to VOE. It's great to have you. Our topic today, from keynote to empire. <laughs> I love it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so let's talk about this journey. Let's talk about this evolution. How'd you start? How'd you make the transition? Where are we today? Let's walk us through the whole beautiful awesome. thing. Okay, so yes. So I started as an association keynoter, specifically in the senior living market, because that's where my background was. And I did that for several years. Um, and then my first book came out, The Celebrity Experience, all about treating your customers like stars. And literally two days after Monica Wofford said to me, you know, you should build a training program around that. 
I got a phone call from a casino company asking me if we had a training program around that. And I said, well, no, but we're building one. And then I quickly called Monica Wofford and said, I need to hire you to create curriculum for me. And that's kind of how this all got started um, once my first book came out. So how long were you keynoting? Uh, oh, let's see. Um, so this all started in 2008. So about um, seven years before I wrote my first book. And then so this was 2009, perhaps, that I got this phone call. Got it. And so I went in, I you know learned about this organization, developed training. It was the first time I had ever trained people, their trainers, to deliver my material. So you went right from keynote to train the trainer. Yes. Like you hadn't done a lot of training yourself. Not at all. At no, all. no, but I have a degree in theater and some improv training and I think, you know, I have this natural ability to um, to include that, you know, audience no. interaction. And and my question is really not about your skill set, but it's about your bravery. About, oh, yes. About taking the leap. Like, well, I haven't done a lot of this training, but sure, I'll train your trainers how to deliver this content. So you sort of leapfrogged over the need, quote unquote, which is not really a need at all, to do a lot, you know, oh, I have to do 10 years of training before I can have a train the trainer program. Not true. No, and as a matter of fact, that's how this whole, you know, red carpet learning systems by company now has gotten built because after that one experience, um, you know, every time a client would say, well, can you help us? You know, so I always say now we're, we're the one-stop shop for inspiration, keynotes, information, books, and implementation, that's our training company. So people would come, you know, our clients would say, my audience members, can you help me do this? And whether we had done it or not, as long as I knew that I knew people who could deliver on that, um, I would say yes. And then we'd figure it out. And that's how we got where we are today. So the first the first real door opening here was the train the trainer. Now, after that, they said, well, Donna, can you do this? Can you help us with that? You had to start hiring people. Yes, yeah, and, and, and really contracting contractors, with people. Contractors, right. okay. So tell us how that rolled out. So the whole, so um, for the last few years, uh, I've been working with organizations to help engage their team to deliver a better customer experience, right? So through my work with clients, I developed a system and a process that seemed to work to help them get results. And, um, you know, part of that included things like developing curriculum and video to go with that curriculum. And so I had to hire production companies. And, you know, so they're all, you know, all contractors, but the main person has always been me. You know, I've been the main contact person for the client. Um, there's a limit to that. You know, there's only so much of me to go around. And so I realized I had to make a decision. Either I was going to stay small and maybe even go back to just keynoting, or I needed to replicate myself. And, and that, so, that wasn't a scary decision. It, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, it was a conscious decision because it, you know, like I said, this all sort of happened in a way to me. People asked me to help them and I said yes. But the important um, thing is that you listen. Yes, you, you I listen. You didn't listened. blow it off. You didn't say, oh, no. no, we don't do that. Oh, that's not our business. You were open to the opportunity and you right. were open to hearing that demand. Right, right, exactly. But at a certain point, I had to decide which way I wanted to go. 
you know. And so I've chosen to be, uh, for, you know, for several reasons. I want to be the most helpful. Um, I would like at this point in my career to, to not be traveling so much. Um, and we wanted to take our message to as many people as possible um, that, you know, okay, this is the way I'm going to go. Now I need people on my team and so um, so and and that's just starting so I, I hired someone to curriculum design curriculum for me a few years ago she really got my style we built a relationship she called me about a year and a half ago and said hey I'm I'm free you know I just left my job I'm gonna do freelance do you have anything and so she's become my first um, we call her our countess of curriculum who goes out and delivers on my behalf you know our material on my behalf. Now, so if we're not using creative titles like Countess of Curriculum, is she developing curriculum or is she a, a trainer that really leads your curriculum delivery? She does both. Oh. So my goal with my goal with Chris, that's her name, is that uh, she does design curriculum for me. That's how she started with me. Now she's actually going out and training curriculum. So instead of uh, me doing the train the trainer she does the train the trainer programs now um, but our goal is that we're going to bring on more what we call star trainers who will deliver that curriculum and she will be the director of that she will actually train those wow trainers. so see i love the way you're thinking let's let's talk about this for a minute we're gonna stop here we're gonna kind of take out the whiteboard we're gonna take out the whiteboard markers and donna can you draw for us the org chart of the future. Oh, well, yes. The, so initially, right, it was Donna Cutting, Donna Cutting, Donna Cutting. You were in every box. You were the CEO. You were the CLO, the right. chief learning officer. You were the, the delivery. You were the caterer. You were the shipping the boxes. You were everything. Yes. You were the, the web designer uh, or the webmaster. And so now, as you're thinking about this more strategically, what are the boxes that you're looking to fill above and beyond your current team? What is that org chart of the future? Right. So I can tell you we have three teams within our team, okay? And right now, I am filling a lot of the roles, but there, as you say, it's the org chart of the future. So the first is the leadership team, you know, leadership and operations. And so under that would be CEO and founder, that would be me. Eventually, I see a COO in that position. Um, that's my exit strategy. And then we have the sales and marketing team. So there's, you know, a fun title, we call her my queen of visibility, but she's my social media online presence. We have a uh, creative director in there that we, is currently on our team. And then I'm in the process of putting together a sales team. So people are actually going to pick up the phone and call on my so behalf. So there's going to be obviously a VP of sales, then maybe one or more salespeople coming on exactly, board. Exactly, right. So we have leadership team, the sales team, and then there's the customer success team. And that includes a project manager, our countess of curriculum, our director of trainer, all the star trainers and then we we currently contract with people that we call our implementation specialists and those are coaches so those are people who are certified coaches they're all contractors but they're a core part of our team and once our clients go through our process and our program we want to help them sustain the level of success that they've had and so we introduce them to our implementation specialists. So are those so two things about the coaches number one when you say certified coaches they're certified in your material. Both so they're certified first of all I look for people who are actually coaches certified in a program and specifically people who are um, management 
you know, coaches. And then we teach them our material and our method. Got it. And so it sounds like if I'm a client, if I'm a red carpet learning client, mm-hmm. uh, I am going to hire you. So I can hire you to come in and do a keynote still. Mm-hmm. I then say, oh my gosh, Donna, we need to implement this DNA into our company, into our whole business, into our whole department, nationally, internationally. Can you come and help us train this and literally roll out the red carpet? And your answer is yes. Now we've done that project. Mm-hmm. Now I want ongoing repetition, application, reinforcement, coaching. Is that a membership? Is that a recurring revenue source? How do we build the coaching? How do we, is that like they pay you monthly forever? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, well, to, to start with, to, uh, when people come to us in the first place, we give them three different options. So that we, have, we now have a do-it-yourself option with a training kit and curriculum. They can come to our train the trainer in Asheville where I live. Um, then we have our red carpet program, which is all based around our standardized curriculum, red carpet customer experience. And they get binders, they get the leader's guide, the facilitator's exactly. guide, the student and, guide. Right, and we go to them and we train their leadership, their supervisors, and the people who are gonna roll out the curriculum. And then, um, or we could, we have a custom program. So those are for people who want us to build everything for them from the ground up. So we produce videos, curriculum, you know, and then we teach the lead the training. Um, so then after that, yes, it is, you know, the question I always get is how are we going to sustain this? Because we don't want it to be the flavor of the year as so many programs That's are. better than flavor of the month. Yes. Usually it's flavor of the year. If you can get flavor of the year, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah. But they want this for years to come. Right. And so what I will say is some of this is still in process, but what that looks like is, you know, a mixture of on-site and online training. So the online training is what I'm building now. And then uh, the implementation coaches will coach around that online training. And it is specifically for leadership because it's really Really leadership that has to drive. So this is not you know, the, the ongoing coaching is not frontline customer service. Hey, here's a quick video. Here's a PDF. Have fun. This right. is at the management and leadership level of how to yes. maintain that red carpet culture, if you will. Exactly. And how do we bill for that? Is, it, is that like a monthly contract, yearly contract? Is it right continuity? now? It's pro- yeah. Right now, it's everything I'm doing is project based. So it depends on um, the size of the company, the number of locations. So I do proposals for everybody. So there's no standard cookie cutter. Here's what it is for ongoing no. coaching. Right, no. Got it. Yeah. I love that. At the same time, I'll say this. There are challenges that come with it, too. And so I think it's, uh, you know, it's like that graphic everybody shows with the, the success and how it's not a straight line. Um, there are things I love about it and things that have been really challenging, but I've continued to grow personally through the process. So I think that's the most important thing. From keynote to empire. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I'm here with David Avrin, Tiffany Lauer, and let's talk about the phone is not going to ring by itself. So how did this entire program come to be and what did you share? What would you like to share with our VOE listening audience to help their phone ring more? You know, here's what we both know. We both know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of speakers who are really good at what they do. And so many drop out of our profession every year because they have to pay the bills. And the and the little secret that's not so secret is that most speakers do not make a living speaking. 
They may be good at what they do. They've done boot camps on storytelling and keynotes and everything else. And the reality is what they don't know is how to go out and get gigs. The phone's not going to ring. And so this all came from a conversation poolside with Dave Horzager seven years ago when I was talking about my business. And he says, dude, you don't have a business. And I said, what are you talking about? It's like my best year ever. And he said, no, no, you have gigs. He said, what are you going to do next year? And I said, I don't know. He says, of course you don't, because you don't have a process. How are you finding contacts and turning them into leads and leads into prospects and prospects into paying clients? He says, I've watched people in, in this business make seven figures and two years later, they can't pay their mortgage because they're not hot anymore. And then we all know there's sort of this eight to 18 month sales cycle, right? That's how far out we're booking. If you don't have a, a process to go find out who those contacts are, introduce yourself to them, um, you got a big challenge. So my brilliant marketing or business manager, Tiffany Lauer and I, we've been together for over five years, from, uh, over five years now, and we really, we hit it. I mean, she hits it. 30 plus prospects a week she is reaching out to. She's following up another two dozen every week. Half of my business, half of my gigs come from prospects and clients who had no idea who I was until we reached out to them. Wow. All right. So let's break that down. Let's look at how do we find them? How do we connect with them? What do we say? What do we send? Corporations and associations are our markets. So we have a lot of avenues, websites that we go to. Hoovers.com is a paid website that you can go into and find a lot of the corporate information and download it straight into what is the most important part I'm gonna tell you right now is the CRM program. You have to have one in place. As a new speaker, as an old speaker, if you don't have it, you go get one you're today. You're pointing to David when you said old speaker. Yes. Oh. You're pointing to David there. Is that, he's <laughs> an old, the old speaker? speaker. Okay. He's, the, he's a veteran. <laughs> so to have a CRM system, you gotta be able to track. You gotta be able to know when's their, when was their yes. last meeting? When's their next meeting? Who were the speakers they had last time so you can get a sense of where their, their fee level is? Um, when does their committee meet so that we can can hit them. Uh, but here's the what we clarify. I think there was a preconceived idea that we have these incredibly automated systems and we don't automate anything. We are high touch, very, very personal. Handcrafted. Yes. Everybody that we reach out to, we make it very clear that we're reaching out to them. So we reference their event. We send it to the right person, the, the dates, um, the information to try and get them to click on my video to, to see who it is that I do. So it's very personalized. Even that subject line is so important. And in the subject line, what we've learned through a lot of trial and error is you put the name of their event. So that it will open. They, so they open want it. them to open the email. So we, we find all the lists, as she said, the Hoover's list, which is the old Dun & Bradstreet. We have association lists. We, we have free lists. We buy lists. And we go through one at a time. We find a prospect that we think is a great fit for what I do. And we research and we go to their website. We go to their LinkedIn. Now, people ask all the time, say, well, well doesn't that take time? Yeah, it does. And you might make 5,000 or 10,000 or 15,000 or whatever your fee level is, but it's worth that time. And the reality is most speakers don't. But what they will do is they'll send out mass mailings or emails to others. And our experience is that it just ends up in the pile with everybody else who's hitting them up for business. So we try and personalize and personalize and we are diligent. 
in marketing. So let's be clear about this because you said you said two things. I just want to connect the dots for our listeners. Hoover's databases, these are corporations. Correct. So you can't tell when IBM had their last meeting or when Microsoft Correct. had their last meeting, but associations you can. Correct. So are we prospecting into associations or corporations or are those two campaigns different? They are very similar. Our emails and everything that is strategically put in front of the associations versus the corporations is different. Uh, Our wording is different because again, corporations have a different type of menu as far as their events. And And they don't make it public. And they don't make it public. That's the reality. So you have to be able to find a way to find that contact within the corporation level. And associations, you can find all that stuff on the website. You can research and look for the education or the event planner or whoever that contact is within the website of the association. So it's all about doing your due diligence and research to find the contact that you need to reach out to. To make sure that the, the outreach that we do is so personalized, it's to a specific person. Oh, yes. It's referencing a specific event. And we a have date. found yeah, a, a date. And we found that the response rate is is tremendous. And here's something really interesting is if they don't respond we reach out to them then again three weeks later and we found that the response to the second email is more than five times what it is for the first one because then there's something in them that says oh i forgot about that uh you know we and in the meantime we're sending a brochure in between that three-week period so they're a hard copy in the mail with with a a note from me yes we do we do that as as a follow-up it's a second it's a second contact to reach out to them to get him noticed and put on their radar Because we get so little paper mail these days. Well, the, the, the pendulum is sort of swinging back because the, the traditional mailbox is no longer stuffed with junk mail. Right. It's it's noticed. Now we don't introduce ourselves that way. It's a very very simple initial email, and and the goal is to uh, elicit one specific behavior, and that's to get them to click on the video. And we say it's a very, very short initial email. We reference the event. She represents David Averin, marketing customer experience. Click on this video. You'll know in three minutes if he's your guy. And of course, throughout the years, you experiment longer letters and everything, what works, what doesn't. And we found it a very simple initial outreach, but then we follow it up with an actual letter. We follow it up with a brochure. When we get a response, we'll do a bomb bomb, which of course is the video email. So many people don't do it because they find the shortcuts to automate. Uh, instead of writing a handwritten card, they'll do a send out card. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, they're Christmas cards, they'll send out a pre-printed. And I love what, what our colleague Eric Chester says, when you do a pre-printed card, it's like saying when you care enough to do the very least. You know, so so we we stand out because so much of what Tiffany does in our business is it's handwritten notes as a follow up. Um, She comes into me. I sign a book. We'll do the bomb bomb. All of those things, because even if I end up as one of the finalists and we know the committees, I'm going to stack the deck. I've got some wonderfully talented colleagues in this association, in this profession, and I'm up against them. So we're going to we're going to stack the deck as much as we can. Absolutely. So, Tiffany, this is, would you say that this kind of outreach and getting those 30 new prospects in the pipeline and then nurturing the ones that are further along, this is your full-time job? This is a full-time job for me. You are 100%. 100%. VP of sales, sales 24-7, absolutely. And with David being an international speaker, I have to be available 24-7. I will wake up at 2 a.m. and I will check my emails because I might get an email from 
an international sure. potential client at 2.30 in the morning. And it is so important to be responsive right away. You're in Egypt, right you're away. in Dubai, who knows yes. where you are. Yeah, I'm, and I might, we might get something from Singapore or Johannesburg or Dubai or something. And for her, and people are like, I can't believe you do it. First of all, she's dedicated as part of my team. Second of all, she gets commissioned, so it, it, <laughs> she's got a vested interest in doing so. But the other thing that makes us, I, I think, um, it's been very effective for us is that we are incredibly responsive. It's, it's stunning to us when we'll talk to people and say, you were the first to respond, or boy, there's two others we've reached out to who haven't responded in days. We try within within hours within we're hours. respond to, to everybody. In some cases, we know we got just because we responded earlier, we were able to um, to demonstrate our value and what it is that we do And I early. make them my best friends. They are my best friend. I am here for whatever they need. They can reach out to me at any time. I will give them whatever they ask for. So I not only become their client partner relationship, it is, we become friends. Right, and, and honestly, that's a little bit of a secret weapon in our business. Is to be a nice it, person? No, is that she is <laughs> so smart and so engaging and gregarious that I'll show up to a presentation and people are like, first thing is, I love your assistant. <laughs> and I'll say, she is she is amazing, she is amazing. And so she's very strategic, she's very smart, she negotiates the deals, and if they don't have the dollars, she can say, listen, I really want Dave to do this. I think he would be great. I can't go to him with this number. Let's work with me. What else can we find? And then we'll bolster that I thing. I can't go to Dave with it. He'll kill me. Oh, he'll he'll blow up. Honestly, I'm sitting right next to her when she says it. That's so, hysterical. You know, so she's very good at bolstering, and whether it's picking up a companion airfare or a few extra nights in the hotel, she will. So you're a great negotiator. She's phenomenal. I what am. We're saying. She is phenomenal. And you have that detachment where, because it's not David negotiating on behalf of David, you can do that yes. triangulation strategy. Absolutely. Now we understand that not everybody has staff. I didn't have staff for my first ten years as well. But there's so much to learn from staff who is so good at what they do. What Carly does for for Steve Spangler, and and certainly what Tef Tiffany does for me, and so many others as well. Even if if somebody does a fraction of what it is that we do together. You know, maybe they're doing five new pitches a week or ten new. It's more than what they're doing now. Right. And uh, and what do they say? You miss 100% of the shots you never take. Yeah. I always say that your biggest competitor is not your competitor. It's anonymity. Jared Bro, pre-conventionisms. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. Ooh, this whole new segment. Are we're using that. <laughs> Jared Bro, CSP, pre-conventionisms. Hit me, buddy. We're coming into a convention. People are all screwed up. They need some help. They need some guidance. How do we handle the convention experience? Going to the convention is, I think, where our members go to recharge their batteries. The thing about it is, there are a lot of people trying to recharge your battery necess sometimes, whether you necessarily ask them to recharge it. You know those clamps? when you're recharging your battery in your car, those things can hurt. <laughs> so, so there's pain that gets inflicted, I think, at a conference when well-meaning individuals share advice. So my advice, as one sharing advice about not giving too much advice, follow me on this, people, is that sometimes when you go to the conference, especially if you're new, well-meaning pie sharers, sharing that cabot pie, will tell you exactly what you need to do, sir, and how to do it exactly the way they've done it. So my pre-convention advice is to think of NSA like a compass. A compass has 360 degrees. 
And if you meet 360 people at the convention, they will all tell you to do it 360 different ways. So let's unpack that. Influence <laughs> 18. Influence 18. And of course, we have all these people trying to influence what our influence experience should be, doing it just like they're doing it. This impacts things like what? What sessions to go to, who to socialize with, who not to socialize with, what parties to go to, what parties not to go to, who to grab in the hallway, who to sit down for a brain picking session with, which I hate that term. But where else does this screw us up? And then how do we start to filter and sort and navigate this the smart way so so my advice to my colleagues and especially the people who are relatively new coming to the convention is simply listen and sort out what is best for you so much is always spoken about being your authentic self and no two speaking businesses are alike so therefore new two pieces of advice will be perfect no one piece of advice is perfect no 360 pieces of advice are perfect Meet your colleagues, go to the sessions, listen how one person says it, and know that someone else will come behind you two seconds later and tell you to do it exactly the opposite way. And have the wisdom as a professional speaker to think, what is going to be best for me? And not only what's best for me, but then to have that, that plan in place to go home and set time aside when you get home after you've heard it all, and to go through those notebooks and all the notes that you took at the convention and say, here's one thing I'm going to do different. Here, here are two things. Uh, going to the convention is like drinking from, from a fire hose. It's messy. You'll get very wet. And it's very much about going, there was a single drop of wisdom that I heard. I, I remember going back almost a year now to the 2017 convention. and. I was sitting in a session, and the best thing that I may have heard was a subject line for an email that will get a meeting planner to open the email. That was the drop that I went home with and immediately started using to find results going forward. And you wouldn't think that that subject line, which I'm happy to share, uh, would be so effective. I'm not telling a soul, Dave. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm, going to tell. The subject line is, hire me, hire me, for God's sake, please hire me. For a full fee. That was the subject line. That was the subject line. Actually, I will share it. The, The subject line was, put the name of the event in the subject line. Instead of, hire me, hire me, hire me. Or can we talk? Or can we do a call? And I went, and it was because another speaker uh, had gone through a thousand different subject lines before they found it. So going to the convention is is a must. It's not an option. Uh, people sometimes say, I can't afford to go. You can't afford not to go. That's always been my philosophy. I paid to go before I could afford to go. Now I've got a great business. I don't care what the cost is. I will pay double to get what I get out of a convention. So I would say to every member, make sure you go. Go and listen. Go and filter. Go and find that one morsel, that one droplet that's going to change your speaking business in the coming year. Jill Lublin, publicity maven to the stars, and also to some NSA members. So let's be really clear that sometimes it's not just the stars. Okay, talk to me about publicity for speakers. I know many of us ignore this completely. Many of us that try and do this do it completely wrong or backwards. Straighten us out. 
So as the author of Guerrilla Publicity, I'm always approaching speakers in particular as people who need publicity. The truth is it doesn't matter what you speak about. What matters is what is interesting out in the marketplace. And the mistake that most speakers make is that they think they're publicity is based on what they speak about. Or if you're an author and a speaker, you think that your publicity is based on what your book's about. Really, your publicity is based on your main message, on a message also that's significant and focused for the marketplace, and that has relevance to what's happening in the media now. Those are the best messages. And in fact, those get the most traction. I think speakers get a little confused about the fact that it's not you don't publicize what you speak about. You publicize what's going to work in the media. Big difference. So I know you've talked about this in several of your books. You talk about this when you give your workshops and seminars. Talk about some of the ways that we can operationalize that strategy, because that, that, that's really the st strategy level, is that what's your message? What is it that you're putting out there for the media to pick up on and so forth? Are we talking about press releases? Are we talking about trying to get on local TV and radio? Are we talking about some internet marketing strategies? How do we operationalize that? Once we have the message nailed down, what's next? So I think it's really important to be recognizing that your publicity begins from the moment you walk out your door. When you're speaking, when you're getting your coffee, when you're on the airplane, the reality is you're being your message all the time, and sometimes we don't know who's who and where it's going to land. So be really, uh, really paying attention to that, number one. Number two, from an operational standpoint, I think it's really key to get into a system of sending out what I call announcements. They're every 60 days. This is not a press release. This is not a press release. This is a four-sentence Announcement, literally, it can announce a new program that you're having, it can announce a new website you're launching, it can announce a new speaking platform you have, it can announce a group you've recently spoken for, an award you won, all kinds of fabulous things. And you can put this, yes, locally. Locally is where it goes. So I want you to become what I call a celebrity in your own backyard. Now, don't get scared of that term. What I mean is I want your name to show up consistently every 60 days and it's announcing something into your local business journal, into your local daily paper, into your local, believe it or not, alumni, newspapers, newsletters, excellent places for publicity that a lot of people forget about. And it's so simple and every, all of this is completely free. Any association you're a member of, that includes the National Speakers Association, and everywhere that has a newsletter, your church, your synagogue, wherever you worship, your Rotary Club, whatever you're a part of and a member of, I want you to be consistent and persistent with sending your message out and being known. I call this the I've heard of you somewhere syndrome. This is operational, this is every 60 days, and it's really a key to get your message out and to have people know about you. So you've got this fabulous new book called The Prophet of Kindness and about working with kindness in business and how that can be used as a lead generator, a marketing tool, a sales tool, a customer retention tool. Talk to us about how you're using this announcement strategy for your new book. Absolutely. So when the book was just coming out, in fact, when we actually, the book wasn't even out, uh, so it's out on Career Press, and when I got signed the contract and knew that it was coming, my first announcement was, Jill Lublin has a new book 
coming out called The Prophet of Kindness. It's due out in January, and it said the due date. Um, and then the rest was my bio, which allows an opportunity to promote the speaking and the other things that I do. And on that was the announcement. Then when the book came out, now this is a two-stepper, which I love, you of course announced that your book is out. And you can do the same thing with your websites that you're about to launch. And then when it's launched, you announce that it's launched, that you're about to do a speaking engagement with so-and-so group. And then when it's finished, you announce it. So most things you can actually get two literal announcements out of, that's a good thing, on a local level. But I also want you to be really thinking about how can you use your message and spread it into what's happening in the news today and utilize it in what's going on. And Profit of Kindness, if I must say so, we did a great job with this. And I'll tell you how we did it because this is a great demonstration of how this works. So Profit of Kindness came out literally two days after Trump was inaugurated. Now, regardless of political... Uh, regardless of political views, the point is we can all agree that the world was a divided place and frankly continues to be. So I sent out a press release, now that's the bigger version of publicity, about the divided states of America. Do you know that press release, the divided states of America, got me so far on seven Fox News TV stations, CBS TV, 45 radio interviews and counting, Inc. Magazine, Fortune Magazine, Forbes Magazine, Selling Power Magazine, and the list goes on. Now, obviously, in the business publications, it was more about kindness and business. But at Fox TV, for instance, I sit down, we've got two minutes to camera, a little bit of a ooh time, that moment when it's a little nerve-wracking even for experienced PR people. And the gentleman says to me, so do you want to talk about kindness in business? Or do you want to talk about kindness in politics? Or do you want to just talk about kindness generally? Three options I had. Now, understand he had my talking points, he had my book. The truth is they're not going to read the book. They've just got a quick overview. They know a kind of way they want to go, and then I could call it. So the point is you have to be what I like to call overly prepared for any interview. And the truth is they may take it in numbers of ways. But if you know your message, you're the one in charge, and that's a good thing, especially in media, especially with publicity, you have to know the message that you want to get out. And with Profit of Kindness, it wasn't about the message of business and kindness. It was the message, in this case, of our country and the mess and and chaos it's in in a bit because that's where kindness is needed most right now. So no offense, but you know, even to me, I don't care I have a new book out. And to speakers, it's not about what you speak about, what your book's about. Really, please hear this message. What's most importantly is what's your message, but be relevant to the message in the marketplace and where you can get in the door because once you're in the door, you know, you can control the message. And that's a beautiful thing. Wow. So I know I'm channeling all of our listeners. Every single one is saying, which one did Jill pick? Which one did Jill pick? So Fox News says, OK, Jill, kindness in general, kindness in politics, kindness in business. What'd you go with and how did it work? I went with kindness in general. You know why? Because I know that Fox News morning listeners, you know, those great morning shows, these were all the ones I was on. They're not the business people, funny enough, watching. They, or they may be, maybe later, 
but mostly I wanted to talk to and get out the message of kindness in general. And then they were firing questions at me. What can we do every day, right? And then I could use my return on kindness formula, and I could talk generally, and then I would always say, and when I train in businesses and in my seminars, because if you're a speaker, of course you want to be promoting your speaking, and if you're an author, of course you want to be promoting your book, there's ways to do it where you weave it elegantly in as opposed to pound them over the head with it. Mm. And therein lies the difference. So we weave our message through and you indicate that in your seminars and when you work with corporations and when you teach kindness at companies. And so there it gets in as a speaker. Jill, final thoughts, closing, closing ideas. What's the big takeaway that every one of our listeners needs to do better with in their publicity campaigns? Well, I know that, you know, the great news is NSA always always um, focuses on being an expert and knowing that experts solve problems and what the media needs are problem solvers. And interestingly enough, look at the word they call their experts, their sources. I love that. We are the sources. And for us to remember as speakers, as presenters, as authors, as information bearers, that we are the messengers and that we have important messages that the media needs, that our audiences need. But that is the way in to get the media and to know that your message matters. We are here with the awesome and amazing Skip Weissman, and we're talking about how to get great testimonial video right then, right there, on the spot, immediately after a speech. So, Skip, walk us through the magic steps. Well, what I do, and most speakers, when they come up, uh, uh, come off the stage, the audience members are coming up, they want to talk to you, you want to shake your hand and ask a question or whatever. And so when somebody does that, for me, I, uh, I usually ask them, so tell me a little bit more about what you took away from my speech. What did you, what did you like about it? What were the key points you took away? And I grill them on uh, a little more detail, a little more specificity, which is my specialty in communication skills. And I say, well, thank you for that feedback. I'm wondering, would you be willing to give me a testimony? about what you took away from the talk. And everybody says, oh, absolutely. And I say, okay, great. Um, would you be willing to do it on video? And then they get a little apprehensive and a little scared and I pull out my iPhone. And then they say, like, like right now? I say, uh, yeah, right now, because um, while you live in Calgary or San Francisco, wherever it is, and I'm going back to New York in about two hours. So this will be our only opportunity. And they take a deep breath and say, okay, we'll do it. And then we find a little quiet place in the room off to the side. And do All it. right. I love that. So you, you, you sort of – I love the couple steps there. Let's break that down. Number yeah. one is way before you talk testimonial, way before you take out the iPhone, you're teasing out of them mm -hmm. some additional comments. Why was that meaningful to you? Right. What impact do you think you'll take back to the workplace? Things like that. Then once you get some nice meat – then you say, would you be willing to put that in a testimonial? Right. And then they're thinking, oh, it's going to be a written testimonial. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll help Skip out. Right. Skip looks like a, a handsome, bald man who's smart and wonderful. And then you say, how about video? Then they get nervous. Then you say, how about video right now? <laughs> so I love yeah. that gradual kind of ease them into the right. spider's web. Right. And I, I want to also have them think about and reinforce what they learned and get their thoughts developing first. And typically, 
I talk about communication, and one of the key tips on communication I always talk about is specificity. And so when they come up to me and say, oh, I really loved your talk, I said, well, great. Well, thank you, David. So in the interest of specificity, which they just learned in the talk, uh, can you tell me more? And so that gets their thoughts going about it and sort of greases the, the, the wheels for them to know what they want to say. I love that. So now we're off in a little quieter area of the conference center or the training room. Uh, and when you just turn on the camera and say go, they would freeze up. They'd be like deer in the headlights. So how do you coax them into that front part of that testimonial to get it flowing? Well, what I usually say is, so David, what I like to say is start your, uh, start your testimony saying, I just saw Skip speak at whatever the conference was and um, and that uh, does a couple things. One, it gets them sort of into the, the flow of the conversation a little bit, uh, but it also has them mentioning my name, which is also important because I could be taking the video testimony off of your website if they don't use somebody's name and who knows who they're talking about, right? So I always try to give those two little tips to get them moving forward right at the very beginning. And then do we also either coach them or suggest uh, categories of things they can mention. So talk about the best thing you learned, talk about your best takeaway, talk about the impact on you professionally in your career or financially. Do you give them some categories like that or do you just kind of cut them loose? Yeah, it depends on what they've said to me in the in the intro at the, at the very beginning. And I'll say, so, so remember when we first started talking, you said A, B, and C. So why don't we use that? And then also give me uh, give me some ideas how you're going to use this when you go back to the, to the office or back to work. Yeah. And then, so let's talk about now you have these testimonials. How many, what, what's a good number? Because you might be talking to 300 people, 25 people come up to you afterwards. Do you actually take the time to do all 25 people if they're willing to say yes? Or do you have a sweet spot number that you're shooting for? You know, I usually go with as many as I can, but usually about a half a dozen I'll try and get. Uh, because again, timing, everybody has to hang around long afterwards. So uh, usually uh, you know, half a dozen or so is ideal for me. So let's talk about where we use these testimonial videos. Are they all going on your website? Are they on your YouTube channel? How do people interact with these testimonials once you've collected a nice number of them? Uh, absolutely. Uh, they're up on my YouTube channel. They're on my website. And what I also do, uh, because I have a couple of speaking niches that, that I speak at, the Project Management Institute, the Medical Group Management Association, Human Resource Conferences, I actually create specific uh, web pages for each of those industries. And so I have industry-specific web pages that have those testimonials for that industry as well. And are those hidden web pages? Like, do you have to give a client or a prospect yeah. that specific link? Yes. And then they're overwhelmed with their own industry people singing your praises and how wonderful and amazing you are. Exactly. And then on my main web page, I just have sampling of different industries, so like show the breadth of the organizations I speak to. Wow. Testimonial domination. Dun, dun, dun. There yes. it is. Final tips, final words of wisdom, do's and don'ts, things that you've experienced, things that don't work, things that you found to be super effective as you've really mastered this for your own business. Well, I think it's just a matter of really being diligent about it because a lot of people don't like to ask for the testimonial. Uh, so the one thing I say, I, I am shameless. <laughs> about asking for testimonials. If somebody says something nice about me or, or my talk, I will always uh, very, uh, uh, you know, just softly ask them if they, they'd be willing to give me uh, a testimonial about it. So I think that's one thing that not enough speakers do and are focused enough or they're a little apprehensive or afraid to ask for that commitment to the testimonial. Uh, but I am, I'm shameless about it. So as soon as you get off the stage, somebody says something nice to you, uh, go in for the kill.
So I'm thinking about our mid-career speakers, maybe even advanced speakers, Hall of Famers. They might be thinking as they're listening to us, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I have dozens and dozens and dozens of testimonials. I'm good. Is freshness and currency important? So if my last good testimonial videos, even if I have two dozen of them, my last good one was in 2009, should I be updating those and refreshing those no matter how many I have? Absolutely. I think for a couple of reasons. One, it keeps you sharp. All right. It keeps you asking for it, keeps you in in the game, so to speak. Um, but you know, people's uh, you know uh, hair designs and, and everything, and, and and clothing and and stuff uh, go out of fashion. So no, you definitely want to keep them keep them current, and I think it keeps you sharp as well. I love that video testimonials. Go do them. Make it happen, right? Absolutely. Thanks, David. And now your NSA national president and mine and overall good guy, Brian Walter, CSP CPAE. Hi, Brian Walter here, and it's time once again to explore how we can apply the official non-theme presidential concept acronym WSLTC WSLTC. Want something? Leverage the community. Today, we're focusing on the WS, WIS, want something. Getting better at our speaking craft and business means getting better at our speaking craft and business. Now, you have to be thinking, oh, Brian, that is such a Captain Obvious statement. Of course, getting better means getting better, duh. Well, is that such a duh statement? Because when I visit chapters and go to national events and talk to NSA members, pretty much everyone is talking about how they want more gigs or want to be better on the platform. But when I ask those same members what they're working on right now to achieve that, the most common response is a pause. Not a micro pause like they're taking a breath before answering. It's a pause as in insert crickets sound effect. I think we can figure out why that is. When it comes to getting better, most of us suffer from what I call outcome wanting. That's some emphatically ambiguous outcome we believe we want, like, I want more gigs. Well, how many more? Two a month? 50% more? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Can you handle the increased travel? Is your business able to process higher volume? Uh, sure. Well, sort of, maybe, actually. Actually, I don't know. Outcome wanting is like wishing. We want it to happen, sure, but it's not something we're truly pursuing. What will actually help us get better is actionable wanting. We know precisely what we want, why it will benefit us, and what needs to happen for us to achieve it. We can then pursue it. We can take action to bring that outcome closer or directly to us. But again, actionable wanting sounds fantastic, but the reality is we don't always know what we should want. Doesn't matter if we've been speaking for two years or 20, discovering actionable wants is hard and often elusive. Fortunately, there's a great opportunity for all NSA members to quickly make progress with discovering actionable wants. And that is influence coming up in July in Dallas. But I'm not talking about influence as a whole, even though it's great. I'm referring to a brand new presentation format in influence called the triple threat. This was created by our Influence co-chairs, Jill Schiffelbein and Corey Perlman. The triple threat format gives you three experts delivering massive value in a single session around a single topic. Each speaker will present one clear actionable idea in 20 minutes, leaving room for Q&A at the end. Three experts, three ideas, one session. And we all know that hearing from diverse voices and perspectives is vital to challenge what we think we know already around a topic. 
And this is a part of influence where you will see that diversity of perspectives in action in a big way. So what type of triple threat topics will be covered? Podcasting, marketing case studies, advanced website and SEO, PowerPoint, humor, sales, authorship, social media, and presentation skills. Because all three speakers in a session are talking about one topic from different points of view, you are going to discover nuances and options that you have never considered before. And that will almost certainly help you think of actionable wants for your speaking business. So if you're ready to move from ambiguous outcome wanting to actionable wanting that truly makes you better, register for influence and attend as many triple threat sessions as you can. WSLTC Wislitzy. Want something? Leverage the community. To wrap up, it's time for VOD, Voice of David. That's me sharing my thoughts to help you grow your business, market smarter, and speak more profitably. The master is always the student. Listen, the second you think that you have all of this figured out, whether this is in your business life, in your personal life, when you stop studying, when you stop being a student of the game, is when your results start to go downhill fast. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting at my NSA chapter meeting or at an NSA national event and someone's sitting next to me and recognizes me and says, well, wait a second, this is this is a marketing topic. You're a marketing expert. You already know all this stuff. And I never fail to point out to this kind of person, hey, hang on, I don't know all this stuff. And the master is always the student. Because no matter where you are in your professional speaking career, whether you are brand new, fresh off the boat, whether you have all kinds of fancy letters after your name like CSP, CPAE, you know that one little tiny nugget can sometimes change the entire course and trajectory of your business. So literally, the moment you think you're fully baked and that your glass is full and that you've got nothing more to learn is the moment that your brain cells start to die and your results start to decline. Are you thinking of blowing off that next NSA chapter meeting? You need to go to that meeting. Are you thinking of not coming to Influence 18? You need to be at Influence 18. When someone tells you, hey, there's this great new book, there's this great new podcast, there's this great new article, you need to read it because it's in your field. If you say, I already know that. I don't have anything to learn. I don't have any new insights that I need. I'm good. I'm okay for now. That means that you're absolutely not good and that you're not okay for now. You need to open your mind, open up your brain cells, Go and get bigger, better results. All right, that's a wrap for this issue of Voices of Experience. You heard a whole bunch of fantastic ideas, great insights, immediately actionable ideas. And remember, it's not about listening to the ideas. It's not about thinking about the ideas. It's what you do with the ideas that's going to move the needle on your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.